Hello and welcome to the Peter the Water Dog Saves the Planet Peace podcast. In the next few episodes, I will share audio chapters of book one of the Peter the Water Dog Saves the Planet book series titled One More Year. I hope you enjoy this story with a message to keep your stuff longer, even if it's just one more year, and in doing so, buy less stuff. Please enjoy chapters 16 through 20 of One More Year, Pedro the Water Dog Saves the Planet, Primer 1. Chapter 16, Red Flint and Tinder 2013, 10-Year Hoodie with Conspicuous Stitching Repair. Tilly, Pedro, and Camas run down a pretty country road. They pass an alpaca farm, green alfalfa fields, cottage vegetable gardens, pickup trucks with weathered paint, and quaint farmhouses. The smell of old roses fills the air. Camus is sporting a bright red hoodie and blows a whistle in short bursts behind Tilly. Will you stop with the bloody whistle already? I'm coaching you. You're giving me a headache is what you're doing. I'm the old mother in the triplets of Belleville. Sorry, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. It's a classic coaching method. Camus continues to blow the whistle in short bursts behind Tilly. Pedro growls at the whistle and tries to steal it away from Camus. Good dog, P. The girls see Liz riding about a quarter mile ahead of them on an upright Dutch bike. She hears the whistle and turns around with a curious look, then stops to wait for the girls to catch up. Hi, ladies. P. How are you? Liz reaches down to pet Pedro. What are you three up to? We're coming to see you. Would you have time to talk with us for a few minutes? Sure, I just need to get the store opened up, and then we can talk. Great, thanks. Tilly and Camus ride with Liz to her store as Pedro runs along behind. Liz goes into the store, and Tilly and Camus sit outside at a picnic table to wait. Pedro runs off to play in the river. You let me do all the talking, Camus says bossily. How do you think I would ever get to talk when I'm with you? That's cold. It's the truth, but I like that about you, Tilly says with a smile. Liz comes out with three coffees and two pastries on an antique metal tray. The Herd Reverse Store is an old mercantile known for its delicious homemade foods, baked goods, cheeses, and cured meats from sustainably raised animals, as well as its extensive selection of wine and craft beer. Liz sets down the tray and sits down next to Camus. Thank you, Liz. Tilly says as she picks up a pastry. Oh, no, you don't, Kama says as she snags the pastry out of her hand. Here you go. She hands Tilly a couple of small cycling energy pods. Hey, I don't want to eat this astronaut food. You're in training, remember? Liz looks intrigued. Training? What are you training for? I've decided... Camus cuts her off. She's doing an Ironman. I'm her coach. Camus looks proud. Wow, Tilly, that's great. You're such a great athlete. I'm not sure about that, but that's why we're here, besides your amazing food. If I could only get a bite, Tilly says as she snatches the pastry back and takes a big bite out of it, glaring at Camus defiantly. Camus gives her a perturbed look. Tilly waves the back of her hand in the air for Camus to continue talking as she eats. Yes, that's right. When I saw you last week, you told me about the man who wanted to apologize to Tilly. Yes, that's Graham. 
Tilly, he wanted me to pass along his apologies for being so grumpy and inhospitable. You also mentioned that he's a former cyclist, like a major player in cycling back in the day. Yes, he was. He was on the Spericolato team in the 1997 Tour de France. It was an Italian team with a couple of American riders. He got injured and had to leave the team. How do you two know each other? Tilly asked. We traveled around Europe for a few years. I cycled too. It was really wonderful those years. Wow, I bet, Tilly says. Would you train Tilly? Camus blurts out. She quickly corrects herself. Well, I'm the head trainer, so technically he would be working under me, but he would be in charge of her cycling training. Tilly doesn't even have a bike yet, and she needs to get up to speed fast, no pun intended, if she's going to do this Ironman thing. Well, I'm not sure, Liz says, surprised. He's become somewhat of a recluse. Not somewhat, a real hermit. You saw how he acted when you met him. Tilly nods. Tilly and Camus look hopefully at Liz. Seeing them with such unbridled optimism brings back memories of herself at their age, and she quickly turns upbeat. But I can certainly ask him. I'm seeing him tonight, actually. I'll ask him. Thank you, Liz. We appreciate it, Tilly says. Can I have another one of those pastries, please? You don't need another pastry, Cam. The hell I don't. This coaching gig is burning a lot of calories. Tilly starts to get money out of her backpack. No, no, it's on me, Liz insists. Thanks again, Liz. P, let's go, Tilly calls out to Pedro down at the shore. Camus takes several hurried bites of the pastry as Pedro races out of the river and shakes off near the girls. Tilly and Camus hug Liz goodbye and take off running down the road. Camus uses the whistle and Tilly flashes her a dirty look. Pedro tries to get the whistle out of her hand again and then barks twice at Tilly. Tilly takes off in a sprint. Barking works better than my whistle? Camus shouts behind them, trying to catch up. Hey, you'll peek too soon. Slow down. Liz laughs as she goes back into the store, hearing rhythmic whistle bursts interspersed with Pedro's barks. Chapter 17 Walnut and Brass, 1959, Mid-Century Terrace Bar Cart Bill's float plane lands on the river in front of the Heard River store at exactly 4.49 p.m. Liz comes out to greet him in a pair of jeans and a white blouse, a small scarf around her neck, and rope wood shoes with painted opalescent bubble bath pink jewel-like toenails. A pretty toenail makes the woman, her mother used to say, Liz waves from the porch and Bill steps out of the plane to greet her. They meet each other on the lawn. He kisses her on both cheeks and she reciprocates with a strong hug. You look fabulous, Liz. It's been too long. Patricia is on the plane. She's dying to see you. Liz waves at Patricia and blows a kiss. Where are the things that need to go to Graham? Just there on the porch, she points. Jimmy, will you please load those things? Nice landing, Liz says to the pilot. Thanks, Jimmy says with a proud smile. They load up. Liz kisses Patricia when she gets on the plane and Jimmy starts the propeller. With their headsets on, the plane pulls away from the dock and begins to gather speed quickly on its pontoons along the still surface of the narrow river, then lifts off. From the sky, they see the winding Lewis Fork River empty out into the vast lake. Some small islands can be seen below with a few motorboats and sailboats. The steep, glacier-formed mountains frame their view. Graham nervously adjusts his shirt and runs his fingers through his hair in the bedroom mirror as Roxy sits at his feet, 
looking up at her handsome master adoringly. I think this is about as good as it's going to get, Rox. Roxy kisses his hand and rubs against his leg. Thanks, girl. Patricia, Liz, and Bill talk happily over the plane headsets, catching up on each other's lives. Jimmy jumps in awkwardly with a witty comment here and there and observations on what is below. After about 15 minutes in the air, the seaplane touches down on the lake and taxis to Graham's dock. That is always so much fun, the lake landing, Liz laughs. I never tire of it either, Patricia agrees. Ike and Suerte are soundly asleep on the deck of the boat and wake up with a start when Ike's flip phone rings in his pocket. Ike fumbles to find his phone and opens it as Suerte jumps off his lap, startled, then runs into the cabin. Ouch, Suerte! Yeah? Ike, it's bare. You okay? Yep. Just some cat claws in my leg. No permanent damage, just a little blood. We need to talk. Sure, buddy. I rode up to Blue Lightning until he was right. They're logging just above the Kootenai's sacred grounds. Not only that, they're logging a piece that's very steep and unstable. I think they somehow snuck that by the Idaho Department of Lands. I'm worried about the sacred grounds in the town. It looks way too much like the ground above Oso. Oso? Don't you remember? The logging mudslide in 94 that slid over 300 acres and killed 30 people? Shit. I know the mayor. He's a young guy just getting his paws wet, but a good man. I'll see if he has any pull. Let him know the urgency. Those bureaucrats are so damn slow. Will do, Bear says solemnly. Roxy rushes down to greet the plane. Bill and Patricia arrive at the top of the trail and meet Graham with hugs. Graham kisses Patricia on both cheeks warmly as he looks distractedly beyond her in search of Liz. Patricia notices and whispers, She's right behind us. Roxy races around the last turn and pops out at the top of the trail. Liz follows close behind, walking gracefully up the path with a warm smile. So this is where you've been holed up all these months. It's lovely. Thank you. You're lovely, Graham says, taking her hand. Liz smiles. We have your supplies on the plane. Bill overhears. Don't worry about that. I asked Jimmy to bring everything up. Thanks, Bill, Graham and Liz say in unison. They smile, a bit embarrassed, realizing that a past life is resurfacing. The guests walk to Graham's patio and pour themselves a drink from a small mid-century bar cart outside. Liz pours Patricia a glass of Columbia Ridge Sauvignon Blanc, then one for herself. Bill makes himself a scotch and water. They talk and laugh as they mingle, looking out over the beautiful lake with the reflections of the warm colors of the sunset dancing across it. Things get quiet for a few minutes. I'm going to go check on Jimmy, Liz announces abruptly. No, Liz, he'll be fine. He'll be right up. It's okay. There were a lot of things. She rushes away. I'll be right back. Bill shrugs helplessly and sits down on a patio chair. Patricia leans over him and kisses him. I'm going to go check on Graham, she says as she walks inside. Bill pets Roxy. Looks like it's just you and me, girl. Roxy follows Patricia inside. Bill shrugs. This looks beautiful, Graham. Can I help you? Patricia asks. I think I have it covered. I used to know how to do this. I'm not sure now, but we'll see what we get. Liz went down to check on the things you ordered. The two are quiet for a couple of minutes as Patricia watches Graham put the fish fillets on a platter and season them. She sips her wine. Finally, she breaks the silence. Wow, Graham. You and Liz here together. It's really nice. Graham kisses her on the cheek. 
Thanks, Patricia. I hope it's nice for everyone. Liz and Jimmy walk up from a road behind the cottage, each pushing handcarts. Jimmy with four boxes, Liz with two. Graham sees them, opens the back screen door, and rushes to grab the cart from Liz. Jimmy stops outside with his cart to answer a phone call. Oh, Liz, I'm sorry. You shouldn't have had to get that. It's fine. Now we don't have to bother with it later. What you're doing is much more important. Smells great. Thanks. Your jersey is in there, too. If you decide it's not right, I'll take it back. No problem. Kids, I'm going back out with Bill. Let me know if you need anything, Patricia says as she leaves the kitchen. I know I'll like it. Thank you so much and for all the other things from the store, too. Can I help you with dinner? You can help me keep Roxy from trying to eat our dinner. Liz laughs and Mock scolds Roxy as she pets her. You should know better. Graham and Liz smile at each other and stand very close. They start to lean in slightly, possibly for a kiss, and are interrupted by Jimmy. Hey, where can a thirsty pilot get a beer? There are plenty in the refrigerator. Help yourself. Jimmy grabs a beer and heads towards the patio. Thanks, man. You invited that guy to dinner? Graham asks with a wince. It seems so cold to leave him waiting on the plane. It was a sweet gesture, Graham adds skeptically. I'll have Roxy keep an eye on him. Chapter 18. Barrister Winery 2008 Cabernet Franc The sun is low in the sky and the golden glow shines on the lake below as the five sit for dinner on Graham's patio. Graham has picked some Miles Davis and the bright jazz notes bounce around the table, perfectly complementing the freshly caught fish, ripe fruit of the wine, and abundant laughter. Jimmy is loud, commandeering much of the conversation. Did you hear the one about the blonde and the pilot who dies in the cockpit? No, Jimmy, I don't believe we have, Bill responds good-humoredly. Graham rolls his eyes. He turns to Liz to talk as Jimmy tells a story in the background. The pilot has a heart attack and dies. The blonde frantic calls out, This is a lovely wine. What is it? Liz asks Graham. Jimmy continues his joke in falsetto. Mayday! Mayday! Help me, help me, my pilot had a heart attack and is dead and I don't know how to fly. Help me, please help me. It's a 2008 barrister cab franc. She hears a voice over the radio saying, Jimmy continues in a low, officially sounding voice, This is air traffic control and I hear you loud and clear. I'll talk you through this and get you back on the ground. Now just take a deep breath. Everything will be fine. Now give me your height and your position. Liz and Graham stop for a moment to hear the punchline. Jimmy looks to see if everyone is listening. Pleased that they are, he finishes. And the blonde says, again in falsetto, I'm five foot four inches and I'm in the front seat. He bursts out laughing at his joke. Graham grimaces as the rest of the group laugh dutifully. Liz turns back to Graham. Remember the girl you asked me to apologize to on your behalf for being so grumpy? Bill butts in. What? Graham needing to apologize for being grumpy, unheard of. Patricia puts her hand on Bill's leg and shakes her head. Yes, I remember. Her name is Tilly and her best friend is Camus. Tilly has decided to do an Ironman. That girl can swim, Graham says. She's been swimming this lake all her life. She's also a long-distance runner. Have you seen her run? I doubt it since he's a recluse on an island, Bill blurts out again. Bill, Patricia scolds. She and Camus are both impressive runners. They came to see me this morning, ran to see me, to see if I would ask you a question. What question? 
if you would train Tilly in cycling, Graham has a confused look. That's crazy, Graham says, surprised. Why is it crazy? Liz asks gently. Why would I train her? Why wouldn't you? Bill asks. Everyone leans in to listen. I'm just relaying the request, Liz says sweetly, seeing Graham's discomfort with the question. Somehow they found out about my past. He looks pointedly at her. I was telling Camus about a bike jersey I was making, and she asked me how I got the idea. You know, your background is quite public if someone wanted to learn about you. I know. Graham looks away. I hope you'll think it over. Tell her I can't, he says firmly. Really? You're not even going to consider it? No. What are you doing that would prevent you from helping her? Bill, Patricia, and Jimmy look at each other helplessly. Even if I did have time, why would I? Bill interjects. Because you can? Because you just started training and maybe there's a reason for that? Because maybe this is the next phase of your career? It sounds perfect for you. Perfect? Perfect! Graham's voice rises in a loud timber. How could training a woman who has never even cycled before be perfect? Sounds like a disaster. Liz stands up abruptly, bumps the table, and knocks her wine glass over. Flustered by Graham's outburst and the red wine spill, she picks up her purse and steps away from the table. Well, I was wrong about you, I see. I thought for certain you'd evolved during all this time on the island. Seems you're just as stubborn, self-centered, and Neanderthal as before. Thank you for dinner. She turns to Bill and Patricia. I'm sorry. I'll be on the plane, but please don't rush. Take your time. Liz walks away towards the path down to the dock. Under her breath, she says, stubborn ass. Liz sits on the plane looking out the window toward the lake. The sun touches the horizon. Jimmy stands by the plane door waiting for Patricia and Bill on the dock. What in the world happened? Things were going so well, Patricia says, holding Graham's forearms. You tell me. Promise me you'll give Liz's request some thought. She's a wise woman. It would be good for you, Bill says in the best listen to your uncle voice he could muster. Travel safely, Graham says with a severe expression as he kisses Patricia on the cheek and shakes Bill's hand firmly. Bill and Patricia get back on the plane. Jimmy unties the boat from the dock and hops into the pilot's seat. Liz turns to look back at the island. Graham waves and Roxy barks. Without a smile, Liz quickly turns her head back around. The plane lifts off over the lake into the setting sun. That's a nice view, but why would anyone want to live out there all by themselves? Jimmy says over the plane headsets. Shush, Jimmy, Patricia says. It's okay, Patricia, Liz says, looking out the window. Graham has some demons. If you ask me, he's finally coming out of his cave, out of that prison he created in his mind. Bill says. I was hoping so. Sometimes that doesn't happen overnight. I think he's creeping out, not leaping out, Bill adds. I saw glimmers. I miss him. Patricia reaches over to hold Liz's hand. I can tell he misses you too. The airplane engine sings a melancholy tune home and lands safely down on the river with its passengers as a beautiful golden sunset sky fades behind it. They all exit the plane. Standing on the dock, Bill and Patricia hug Liz. Jimmy walks over and kisses her on the cheek. Thank you all. Liz walks towards the store and turns to wave to them as they fly off. Chapter 19 
Henry Hughes and Son Limited, 1850 Brass and Mahogany Officer of Watch Telescope. Tilly drives along the winding lakeside road and talks to Camus on her cell phone speaker. I just got off work, Camus says. P and I are headed to the marina to swim. Nice. How far? Not sure, coach. How about to Opal Island and back? Did you hear what he said? That's why I'm calling. He said no. Tilly is silent. Camus breaks the silence. I'm sorry, Till. We don't need the geezer. That sucks. Did he say why? No, just something along the lines of why would I, like he's too good for it or something. Tilly is silent. She hears her phone beep, glances at it. Gotta go, Cam. Ike is calling. Okay, be safe. Swim like a dolphin, Iron Princess. Tilly taps her cell phone. Hi, Ike. So your phone works. Will you be near the marina anytime soon? P and I are headed your way now to swim. Stop by. I need to tell you something. Can you tell me now? I hate these goddamn phones. Just stop by, please. No problem. See you in five. Pedro's head hangs out of the truck window as they drive along the coast. Tilly sees Opal Island in the distance and shakes her head. She feels a mixture of confusion and frustration bubbling up inside her. They arrive at the marina and Tilly carries her paddleboard along the dock, then puts the board in the water near Ike's boat. P, lie down, stay. Pedro barks. Suerte asleep on the top of the boat, wakes up with a start, jumps up, and accidentally falls into the water. Ike! Cat overboard! Ike rushes out of the cabin. Damn cat! He scoops Suerte out of the water with the net. The cat snarls at Pedro, then sulks away, dripping wet. I'm not sure if that's a cat or a dog, Ike says. Tilly smiles. No wonder I like Suerte so much. Did you hear from Bear? Sit down. Tilly sits down on a bench on the boat dock. Bear found the logging operation you saw. They're about an eighth of a mile above the Kootenai's sacred grounds. Shit. Yeah, major shit. What's more, they're logging a very steep piece of ground. Bear said he confronted the foreman. He's got some history with the guy, total city slicker asshole, and the son of a bitch couldn't produce the permit. Shit. Bear says the site is very similar in slope and topography to that one that caused a slide in Oso. Really? I remember that. It was a big disaster. Yep, Bear's going over to see the mayor today. If it slides, that debris will affect the town's water supply at best. At worst, it could even hit some homes. I know Pat, the mayor, too. I'll check in with him. Can't hurt. Bear said they hadn't started the steepest part yet, but we don't have much time. Thanks, Ike, Tilly says weakly. Tilly steps off the boat onto the paddleboard with Pedro. Let's go pee. Tilly paddles out of the marina into the open lake. Pedro begins to pace back and forth. Sorry, P, I'm first today. Tilly takes her board shorts and t-shirt off and wears a surfer girl two-piece. Her body is tense, nothing like her flowing yoga form, and her head hangs low. She dives in, circles back, ties the harness around her hips, and then swims to the board and kisses Pedro with a forlorn look. What is this world coming to, P? Lie down, stay. Pedro whimpers and lies down at the front of the board. Tilly swims slowly at first and then increases her speed to a vigorous, steady pace. Graham sits at his desk at the window overlooking the lake. Roxy comes up to him with a cycling shoe. No, girl, not today. She brings the other shoe and bumps his leg with it. No, Roxy, stop, with a louder voice. 
Roxy pushes the box that Liz brought from the kitchen into the living room. She pushes and pushes until it is at Graham's feet. Damn dog, I love you. Graham pats her gently as he walks out to the trainer frame. He raises his captain's telescope to his eye to see Tilly swimming fast. A boat travels on the other side of her in the same direction. The distance creates the illusion they are racing. That girl is strong, Rox. Tilly begins to swim harder and faster. Pedro stands up, concerned, and starts to pace. Tilly increases her intensity and speed. From Graham's vista, the speedboat seems to be on a path that will intersect Tilly's. Pedro barks loud, repeated warnings, but Tilly doesn't stop swimming. She keeps up her fast pace. Pedro backs up a couple of steps and then runs and leaps off the front of the board. The speedboat races closer. Pedro swims fast towards Tilly. The speedboat's passengers are laughing and distracted, beer cozies in their hands, their watercraft a bullet on the lake. Pedro swims faster, his panting breath not heard above the boat's engine, his legs made strong from miles of swimming with Tilly, and his water dog web paws give him the extra propulsion needed to catch her. He snatches the small floating ball on the harness in his teeth. Tilly feels it, shrugs slightly, and keeps swimming. Pedro tugs, holds firm, then makes a strong, deliberate turn to swim in the opposite direction, his water dog fisherman jeans holding him in good stead. Perhaps his DNA remembers dragging those heavy Portuguese fishing nets. Tilly swerves from Pedro's counter tug and looks up, just as the speedboat notices the two of them and swerves. What the hemlock? The boat driver shouts. Tilly gasps for breath from the crashing realization of the near miss. She and Pedro swim to the board. She climbs up, pulls him up to her, and sobs into his neck. I'm so sorry, P, she cries. Pedro licks her face and tears gently. At a distance, the boat makes a circle around the paddleboard. The driver calls, Are you okay? Tilly gives the boat a weak thumbs up. So you think maybe you should take the reins? Pedro licks her again. Okay, handsome P, swim, Tilly says, raising her arm to motion Pedro to dive in. Pedro jumps in and brings Tilly the harness in his mouth. She fastens it to him, and he happily pulls the paddleboard one paw in front of the other again and again. Tilly rests on the board, lying on her stomach. She looks ahead for a bit, scanning the horizon for more boats, then lays her head down on her arms in a state of melancholy an emotion not familiar to her in many years. She is gradually comforted by the sounds of Pedro's strokes and breaths. That doesn't look like training for an Ironman to me, a male voice calls from behind. Startled, Tilly sits up quickly. Graham and Roxy are a few boat lengths behind in a kayak. What are you doing here? Tilly asks as she wipes tears from her eyes. I live here. You live in the lake? You know where I live. Yes, I do. Pedro slows down when he sees the boat. P, stop, come, Tilly calls. Pedro swims back to the boat. He is excited to see Roxy and swims right past the paddleboard to the kayak, turning the board to face Graham. P, come. Pedro ignores her command. Graham lifts Pedro into the kayak and the two dogs kiss each other. Graham unties his harness. Looks like they missed each other, Graham says, smiling at the dogs. What are you doing here? Tilly asks seriously. I heard you want to do an Ironman race. That's right. I clocked you swimming. You were swimming better than an Ironman pace for over 30 minutes. 
I was upset. Upset about what, Grandmouse? Couple of things. Like what? I heard you weren't interested in helping me learn to cycle. Well, I'm a selfish old bastard. That sucks if it's true. I'm trying to soften up. What's the other thing? There's a logging company about to pile a million logs on top of my ancestors' sacred grounds. Over off Blue Lightning? You know it? I used to visit it when I was out cycling and needed to think. So why are you out swimming in the middle of a huge lake when you should be stopping those bastards? Tilly looks helpless. She throws her hands up towards the skies of looking for help. First lesson of your cycling training, Grab says intently. The gods help those who help themselves. The universe honors us when we show our best effort. Tilly looks surprised. She is silent and asks, You are training me? Repeat lesson one, please. The gods help those who help themselves. She pauses to think. The universe honors us when we show our best effort. Graham nods. Pedro and Roxy seem to nod as well. Now what? Tilly asks. Let's go to town and see the mayor, Graham says as he takes hold of his paddle. Follow me to my dock and I'll get the boat. Graham paddles with the dogs as Tilly follows on her board. They pull the kayak onto the dock, hoist the paddleboard into Graham's vintage boat, and head across the lake to Sandglass. Chapter 20 Bulldog Wiegan, England, 1919 Garden Hand Trowel Liz says hello to the happy people picnicking on the store's outdoor tables in the warm afternoon sun as she walks to the dock. She wears a tank top, long mountain biking shorts, and a backpack. She loads the mountain bike into the front of a small motorboat, starts it up, and heads down the river. Twenty minutes later, she arrives at the small dock at the trailhead to Baron Frida's cabin. Liz bikes up the trail. Her graceful flow is in stark contrast to Ike's wild style. She has a serious expression as she emerges from the tall trees onto the pathway leading to the cabin. Bear sees her first and greets her with an Idaho sky smile. Look at the angel floating in. Hi, Bear, she says as she gives him a hug, her head reaching his lower chest. How are you, Liz? I'm great, thank you. Well, not great, actually, but darn good. We're on a journey that doesn't ever promise great, but it does promise to get us closer to the truth. I know, she says and smiles. Speaking of journey, I'm looking for Frida. Frida is at the sacred grounds. Okay, great. I'll head over there if you don't think she'll mind the company. She'll be so happy for your company. Be careful, though. There's logging going on nearby. That's partly why she's headed over there, to do some praying with the ancestors. Okay, thanks, Bear. I'll be careful. Maybe you can join us for supper on your way back. That sounds nice. Liz gets back on her bike. The wooded trail grows denser and more beautiful, with occasional striking lookouts towering over the sparkling lake and meadows of tall bear grass that look like something straight out of Avatar. Liz exits the trail and finds herself in the clearing of the sacred grounds. Frida kneels, busily planting, working the soil with a small hand trowel. Liz wonders if she may also be praying because her eyes are nearly closed. Liz leans her bike against a tree and approaches Frida. Frida looks up and smiles. They embrace wordlessly. Frida takes her by the hand and they walk to sit side by side atop a knoll with wildflowers surrounding them and sunlight streaming through the tall fir and tamarack trees bordering the clearing. Frida begins to chant. 
Liz hums beneath the chanting. It is a sweet harmony of old and new as the quaking aspen leaves rustle above them. Frida stops and turns towards Liz. I know you're troubled, dear friend. More like frustrated. I know I can't control him. Would you want to? No. You know what to do. You are very strong, Elizabeth of the River. They move to face each other, still seated on the earth. Frida reaches out to hold both of Liz's hands. They close their eyes. We pray for the earth. We pray that we can be wise to know our place among all things, not just humans. We pray to protect these sacred grounds for our ancestors. Do you have an intention you would like the ancestors to hear? Frida asks. May we heal old wounds so we can help others. Yes, and so it is. And so it is. They open their eyes and smile at each other as a hawk calls to her mate flying high overhead. To be continued. Podcast music is Dalai Lama Riding a Bike by Javier Peque Rodriguez. A link to his music on Spotify and Bandcamp are in the show notes. Support messages of peace in the planet by joining my Patreon for as little as a cup of coffee per month at patreon.com. Just search Avis Kalfsbeck or Pedro the Water Dog to find me. Pedro the Water Dog Saves the Planet books 1 through 5 are available at all your favorite online bookstores or at avaskalfsbeck.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Thank you again. Listen for the peace. Peace.